Blog Talk Radio. Saturday night that looked bloated 
and very, very heavy. I, I mean, honestly, he kind of looked like a Macy's Day, Thanksgiving Day parade float. I, I would love to have seen what he weighed in that night. He just looked like a guy that crashed down in weight, probably made it a fat camp. And this is a fact. He had to strip down booty butt naked to make weight. Now, usually when you have Three to take times. off the fruit of the loom, right, that means you had issues making weight. And, and, and talking to Camille Estefan, his manager and co-promoter, turns out he may have had a bit of a left shoulder injury, which took away at least half of his weapons, his jab, and, and certainly his left hook. But I, I thought before the fight, when everyone was trying to pencil in or hoping for a Lemieux victory, even the best version of Lemieux from a fitness standpoint and from a technical standpoint, Gabe, wasn't this always going to be a very, very difficult matchup for Lemieux? Lemieux is going to have to be in the shape of his life. Uh, and, and at times he would do things like he would take smaller steps to get closer, uh, a tactic that uh, Angulo used against Lara, and it worked early on. Um, uh, instead of taking big strides and committing yourself, you know, staying, staying low and, and, and quick. Uh, but it just, you're absolutely right. He looked like a guy who's more than anything, and I felt like this is where his interview came from, that his body as a whole betrayed him. Couldn't pull yeah. the trigger, was super slow, Obviously knew that it, about the weight. You could see that when he was in a suit early in the week, squaring off with uh, 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 Billy Joe Saunders. That uh, his eyes, there were dark circles around him. They looked kind of dead. Whereas he looked at Saunders, he was a man on a mission all week, and he was just poking at Lemieux, uh, trying to piss him off, and just was super confident. And you could see it at the weigh-in. He looked like he was in fantastic shape, uh, as he put it. Uh, Radio Rahim did a locker room interview with him, which was pretty great. Uh, he's like, the rust is off now, and I'm only going to get better than this point. And, you, you know, we'll see. His next fight will tell us if that's true. Uh, this performance, though, I mean, it was spirited. He, he, I'm not a big taunting guy. I'd rather you, if you have the energy to taunt and look into the crowd and do all that, I want to see some punches, too. You know, you have the energy to do that. Uh, you know, but I don't know. Were you entertained by the fight? Were you bored by the fight? I was impressed by the first half, and then it became monotonous in the second half. It, it was very, very yeah. repetitive. It was certainly dominant. And B.J. Saunders, to me, made a statement, though. You went on the road, hostile environment, you were the B-side, and you absolutely dominated. But I, I also think that your point um, is very salient. Sometimes that exclamation point or the style points, they matter. But again, that WBO belt is the last belt not in the possession of Gennady Golovkin and will not be competed for by anybody but himself. And that's the question now going into 2018. A lot of people are thinking of a dream scenario. Does he face a Dimitris Andre or does he face a Danny Jacobs? Gabe, we are realists here at this show. If you are Frank Warren and B.J. Saunders understanding that the Golovkin-Canelo rematch looks like it's on course to happen May 5th of 2018, and that the winner of that fight will want to have a historic victory by consolidating the division. Uh, I just don't see B.J. Saunders coming off of this victory, going in deep, and then really jeopardizing a potential matchup with the Canelo-Golovkin winner. Am I off base on that? No, why would you fight Danny Jacobs if, if you're B.J. Saunders? You don't have to. You know, Rob Brandt is number two. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, he's he's ranked number two by the WBO, but uh, didn't he jump up 
in weight? Is he going to come back down? Uh, then you got Jamal Charlo right there. And then at four is, is Danny Jacobs. So he's got some other things, decisions to make. But I imagine he's got a, you know, an interim defense at this point. So go make some money while you wait for the, you know, Canelo and Triple G to figure their shit out. Uh, do you think that that fight, that rematch is going to come off? And, and in that eventuality, leave BJ room for that? I my understanding is in talking to both Tom Loeffler and Eric Gomez, who've been very forthright in the past on this particular subject, they, they feel as though they're inside the red zone. Now I don't know how close they are to the goal line, but they are certainly past field goal position, and they are now inside the twenty. Uh, according to Tom Loeffler, he would like to get this deal done before the new year. Now the question that I have. If we come up on 2018 and we turn the calendar to January and there is no official deal consummated, at what point do Loeffler and Golovkin just say, okay, hold on, you've held up our career in the past, Uh, we're already going to take away some activity which we want uh, at your behest, when are they just going to say, our business, our time, our fight, Maybe we'll see you in September. That remains to be seen. Uh, I'll try to make a few phone calls in the next day or two. Gabe, Spike O'Sullivan stopped Antoine Douglas in seven. I thought this was a real fight. And uh, you can't say that I'm Monday morning quarterbacking because I actually said this in the immediate aftermath of Antoine Douglas's bludgeoning at the hands of Advantel Kurtzize in March of 2016. That career ended that night. Not officially, not formally, but whatever Antoine Douglas could have been or should have been is never going to be because of a haphazard, reckless corner. I felt bad for the kid watching him this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think early on he looked like he was in control, but once he got rattled a little bit, got touched by Spike O'Sullivan, uh, you could see that he didn't really want it. And, and there were still just big flaws. Like, he, he came with a big jab, uh, Antoine Douglas did, but his, his, his back feet and everything, his, his whole foundation, he wasn't, like, coming with everything with it. The, his balance seemed off, like one leg would be up. or He just didn't seem like he had, he, he had his legs under him. Uh, and then he just, you know, he got rattled, and he goes to the ropes, and I think he just went right back to the place that he was uh, against Kersides and and just – Shut down until you, while you get beat down until the ref stops it. Uh, it was it was pretty depressing to watch, but at the same time, you know, I really liked me some Spike O'Sullivan. Uh, he's on a nice run here, and and he's an exciting guy. Is he you know is he going to beat Golovkin? I, I wouldn't make that pick, uh, but he's he's a fun guy to have in the division, and he's a kind of guy like you know he's a truth machine. Uh, if you're out the real deal, he's going to find it out. Heavy hands. Yes, and I I love two things about Spike. He's got a very straight right hand. And I love that mustache. If they ever make a boxing movie based on the 1920s, if Spike O'Sullivan is not cast in a prominent role, I will not watch that movie. I'm going to make that clear right now. Uh, as for Antoine Douglas, he reminded me of that very nice-looking vintage car that looks great on the outside. The exterior is shiny. It is armor-rolled up. It has a great wax job. But it doesn't drive so well. And Roy Jones, to his credit, spotted that right away. And if you watch that first round, and that may have been a round that Douglas may have won based on sheer activity. He was getting hit clean by O'Sullivan early on with right hands. And I thought that was very, very alarming. And by the fourth round, the way he was reacting towards punches, almost as if he was numb to it. 
and there was nothing he could do to get out of the way because this at one point was a very athletic young fighter. He's only 25, but in boxing years, he looks like he's 45 going on 55, and, and I'll say it again about corners. Sometimes throwing in the towel and, and making a guy quote-unquote quit or call it a day, that's actually the courageous thing because you are putting the health and safety of your fighter above your own ego and reputation. And I think that corner, I don't see how they face that guy and look at him in the eye and say, we did the right thing by you because they didn't. And Gabe, Cletus Selden had a nice victory against Roberto Ortiz, but I think that was very much a mirage. And when they fought Eves Ulysses, um, I said, huh, this is interesting, because I, I remember back in March, Ulysses beating up on Zachary Ochoa, a pretty decent prospect for Golden Boy. This truly was a dose of reality for the Hebrew hammer. Uh, yeah, somebody said he's more like the Hebrew nail. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was getting hammered uh, by Ulysses. He, he, that, that cat... Yeah, he had a loss early on, and, and he's uh, uh, bounced back nice, got himself back together. Again, not the most pleasing style in the world. I'm not a big stick-and-move guy, uh, but he played it beautifully. And it, it takes a lot to, to fight that kind of style at that pace and energy uh, and really to have that success, too, early on, the three knockdowns in three rounds, uh, but not able to put your guy away because he, he doesn't have that many knockouts. He's not that kind of guy. It just he couldn't miss Sel- uh, Selden if he tried. Uh, I don't know. Were, were you incensed that this guy was on HBO? Or was it just, you know, sometimes you take a chance on a guy because he had a good performance? And people really reacted well, I thought, to the last time Cletus Seldon was on yeah. HBO last month. Uh, listen, um, I didn't really mind it. I'm sure this fight didn't cost all that much. And I hope that the guy that won here, Eves, uh, gets a shot because I think he's got really good tools. Now, again, is he another yeah. guy that took his foot off the gas pedal the last half of the fight? Absolutely. But maybe he felt as though, you know what, this guy can't touch me. The only way I could lose this fight if he lands a George Foreman, Michael Moore lottery punch, and maybe he didn't want that to happen, but um, this guy here is good. He's 15-1, and one, had yeah. a very, very controversial loss to Steve Claggett, and he's right in his right. physical prime. I'd like to see more of him. And as for Cletus Selden, at a certain level, Selden is okay. I think he gives you good television. He's a guy that fit on the star boxing club circuit out there in Long Island. If they still had ESPN2 Friday Night Fights, he's a guy that could give us good nights of entertainment two, three times a year. But as they say, Mr. Montoya, there are levels to this game. And uh, he went from a swimming pool to the Atlantic Ocean on this particular weekend. Moving on, round number two, it was announced last week. It'll be showtime from the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas, February 10th, IBF Junior Welterweight title will be on the line. Sergey Lipinets takes on Mikey Garcia. Gabe Garcia told everybody that, you know what, I don't need to do Linares. Uh, in fact, I don't even need to do Cotto. I got better options, more lucrative options, and you guys are all going to love it. So it's Sergey Lipinets. How much do you love it, Gabe? Oh, who can, you know, pick up another belt? It's so exciting. Uh, I'm not excited at all. My biggest question about this, besides why this fight, I mean, I, you know, the belt, I guess, is it. Uh, so we're going to put Mikey Garcia from Oxnard in Texas, but the Charlos, are they, is that going to happen? Or Errol Spence? 
When are they hmm. going to fight huh. in the Alamo? Huh. Wow. I, I feel like, uh, you know, the William Devane should come out and just start clapping, saying, you know, let them play. Uh, Whoa. In front of Al's house. Gabe you know, with the uh, Bad News Bears in breaking training reference. I like it, Gabe. <laughs> I yeah, wonder, you know what? They did it for Lupus. Remember? Lupus had to stay home. They he was did. sick. Um, well, they, they were after Astrodome, weren't they? Yeah, at Astrodome. In fact, Bob Watson, former Astro, and Enos Cabell, and I think Cesar Cedeno made the appearance, and it was Bob Watson that said, let them play. And that's when Devaney did that thing. And Tanner Boyle was being uh, chased around by those men because he wouldn't get off that's the right. field. But anyway, get, get into this fight. Lipinets is a pretty good fighter. Um, I don't yeah. think he was as dominant as we would have expected against that Japanese guy back in November. But it's one of those fights. It's it's okay. It's not. It's like I always say. Just because you say it ain't bad, doesn't mean it's all that great either. It's it's okay. Yeah. But where's Mikey Garcia setting his legacy? Because he because I, I I saw some of the quotes from today's press conference, which I wasn't able to attend. Where he says, "Well, I'm going to be a four division champion." Yeah, so is Adrian Broner and Ricky Burns. I mean, that whole claim now is watered down, Gabe. Yeah, that's a that's a, you know that's what you can say with this. It's like, well, okay, that that's great. That's great on your resume, but you know, but I think the style, you know, Lipinets is is, is uh, he's got a lot of holes. You know, it, it's awkward, but it's not like super challenging awkward. <laughs> I think he'll be mastered by Mikey Garcia, uh, but he's a tough guy. I, I, I'm wondering if he's going to come back up here. He trained up at Snack for like, a, I think, a week, but said he wants to do like a, a whole camp. Maybe it was a little bit longer. Uh, Victor had nothing but great things to say about him. Says he shows up without an entourage, just him, uh, does his work, goes home, comes back. Like, he's just a true gladiator. So the guy's going to be in great shape. He's going to bring it. Uh, and he's got an aggressive style, which is going to play right into Mikey's hands. Uh, I think it's going to be a knockout, but we'll see. You know, we'll see about Mikey at, at, at this weight uh, a little bit more. Uh, you know, it's not bad. Like you said, if this guy don't hate it, doesn't mean it's that great. <laughs> and then Mikey is now saying, well, after this fight, I still want to come down to 35 to fight Linares. Okay, I, 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 I once again am going to quote and uh, use Aretha Franklin's great line. Who's zooming who? Mikey, <laughs> y- you probably aren't coming down to 35, and I'll say it once again. Unless it's a Heyman slash PBC fighter, I don't think you're facing him. That's just been the track record, okay? And we'll just leave it at that. Gabe, going real quick before we hit the Twitter timeline, I want to mention this in the first segment. Did I not tell you that FS1 card on Friday night would be some fun? What a (laughs) war between Johnny Molina and Ivan Redcatch. Gabe, would the Kimster lie to you? Would, Would I lie to our fine audience? No, you, were, you, 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 you pulled up the menu and said, waiter, I'll have this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I wanted uh, seconds, by the way, yeah. yeah. I mean, John Molina never really disappoints, does he? I mean, it's always something with him in his fights. Uh, come from behind. Like a new Randy. trainer. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> boom, uh, I need to get that sound effect on here just for that. Uh, but, you know, this does never say die. And Ivan Redcatch is a guy. He can be up, he can be down, but it's, it's usually, you know, something to watch. Putting them together, it was kind of an under-the-radar fight. But, wow, what a war. Unbelievable fight. John just got rocks for hands, man. John Molina, because of his technical flaws, is never really in a control of a fight. But with this power, he's never completely out of it. And that's what Ivan Redcatch did not realize after the second round, that he's probably most dangerous Johnny Molina 
when you think he's out of a fight, as Mickey mm-hmm. Bay found out. And Ivan Redcatch, I like him. He's a hardworking guy, but I really thought he should have shown more ring intelligence by understanding Johnny Molina as a wounded animal is a very, very dangerous one. And, Gabe, speaking of switching trainers, Jesse Vargas, a 10-round decision over Aaron Herrera. Uh, here's what I think. I think Jesse Vargas should keep up this shtick and just go with the new trainer every damn fight. So, literally, he could be the foremost expert on every trainer in boxing. Uh, you know, you got to have your niche and just go with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought – it's it's just trippy. It's like no, I finally found the guy. This is really the fit. He's telling me everything that I, you know. I just feel better than ever. And it's like he's said that more than Oscar De La Hoya said. I'm I'm in the best shape of my life. I've never been better than this. You know, whatever what Oscar would say. He'd, he'd say it like you know every camp. He said it before the Pacquiao fight, and he wasn't in the best shape of his life. Uh, you know, Jesse is who he is. He's in a in a universe that's rich with talent. Uh, I'm sure he's going to get some work. He's only 28 years old. Uh, and at this rate, he may actually start getting trainers for a second time. Start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the Twitter timeline, the president, Andrew V. Kennedy, has joined us. He has a long one. Do you guys think Top Rank would be making a mistake staging Crawford Horn in Las Vegas? Seems like it's a waste of Nebraska of a Nebraska TV spectacle. Also, how would you rate Top Rank's use of its ESPN platform in terms of matchmaking, co-promotions, and growing the sport's appeal? Well, Gabe, last week, uh, Jeff Horn subdued Gary Corcoran. It was kind of a messy, rough fight on a Wednesday afternoon on ESPN. Um, Here's the issue. Crawford Horn, to me, is a mismatch. Uh, No disrespect to Jeff Horn. I think Crawford really is elite. I think he's that much better. And they're going to go where the most money is in this particular situation. And, and if you're Jeff Horn, you want Vegas because they're probably going to be casino money that doesn't exist in Omaha. And let's face it, at this point, you want the most amount of money because a victory is very, very unlikely. That's my view of it. Gabe? I think they should do it at the Alamo Dome. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, whoa! You're gonna hit that one all day, jeez. Yeah, uh, yeah, I am. I'm just gonna go back to that. Well, I uh, well, I thought Horn. Um, he's talking about Anthony Mundine first, and then like his promoter is like saying, you know, well Crawford, you know, doesn't give good quote. He doesn't sell any tickets. Uh, he's he's got to really step his game up because he's no Conor McGregor uh, before we fight him. Which means, like, I think, you know, the money's in the in the defenses, not in winning the title. I think, you know, they're going to try to fight Mundine and, and avoid Crawford. Uh, and, yeah, and hold it but you know what? But I wouldn't, but Gabe, I wouldn't here's do that fact. fight in Vegas. No, but here's, you're, you're right. It doesn't seem to make sense in Vegas. I, I don't disagree no. with that one iota. But here's the fact. The uncomfortable reality is for Jeff Horn that Terrence Crawford is the mandatory. And I tweeted mm. this earlier today. If Jeff Horn wants to remain the WBO welterweight title for the time being, he has to fight Crawford next. Now, Stay Cool Wheels on Twitter made a great point. So who cares? If he can't make 47, he has no chance of beating Terrence Crawford, and there's more money in Mundine and moving up, maybe the title doesn't mean that much at this point. Um, And by the way, Terrence Crawford, you're right. I think there's many other more enticing, competitive, better matchups at 47 than Jeff Horn. 
how many are actually realistic? Now, that's another question. Uh, yeah. But, but again, if you're Jeff Horn, this is now becoming a business about is it worth it financially to keep the belt and face Crawford or do an Australian quote-unquote super fight against Mundine? And guess what? Whatever pays more, that for them is probably the option. Now, Gabe, in terms of what the president asked, I think ESPN, at least in this last fight, away from football season, did a very good job of promoting the fight, marketing the fight, um, pushing it on different platforms, giving it space. Uh, I believe it will continue at least until next Labor Day weekend when football season kicks in again. But this does come down to fights. I, I just have my questions that with the divides in boxing, where you have HBO, which has their content providers, Showtime, which has its content provider, and now ESPN, are there enough good fights to really support three separate universes? I don't know. I don't think so. And it's no way to grow a sport. It makes no sense. No other sport does this. Uh, you know? I mean, MMA does it, you know, but the fighting sports are just so out on their uh, own. I mean, like, like you look at Horn, it's like, it's not like signing up, you know, when you get in the NFL and all right, now I'm, I'm making millions or I'm making hundreds of thousands plus a signing bonus in boxing. It's about capitalizing on your moment. I think Jeff Horn knows, you know, like you said, it was a messy fight. I'm like, yeah, it's a Jeff Horn fight. You know, he knows that his window is, is not that big. And so, yeah, if somebody offers you 2 million to fight Mundine and, and they're not offering you that to fight Crawford, screw the belt. Um, yeah. But I, I think ESPN's done a great job. Uh, and, you know, I think the only thing they're missing out on, and I'm not a, you know, uh, an executive or anything, but uh, their app, because, you know, there's a lot of fights on the app. And, and boxing fans, they want to see the undercards. I, I kind of, it may not sell the pay-per-view, but, you know, the, the Rian Scalias of the world are, are not are that rare and that, you know, the, the, everybody wants to see the fights. And they'll watch the app to see the undercard or they'll watch a stream to see the whole thing because you never know who, where you'll find that future star. Um, and ESPN, their problem is to, to watch it on the app, you've got to tie it to the cable that you have. I think when they untether that, there's a lot of subscribers, a lot of people that will get that app uh, th- that they're leaving on the table. Uh, but overall, I just love what they're doing. I think Bob's got enough good guys and, is, and knows how to make deals, and, and Todd, that they're, they're going to have plenty of good fights over the next year. they got guys, uh, you know, I think Andy Ventus will get his chance next year, uh, and Jose Ramirez is only going to grow. It's going to be a big year. Here's a question from Tommy Boxeo. With regards to Adonis Stevenson, Elitor Alvarez, do you think there should be a limit for a fighter to take step-aside money? Yeah, Alvarez has made a living by not fighting as the mandatory defender or the contender for the WBC light heavyweight title. And I believe Stevenson could be fighting Badu Jack. But I spoke with someone in the WBC who now says, this is ridiculous. He wants to propose that as a mandatory contender, you could take step-aside one time and then it's piss or get off the pot. Gabe, that sounds very reasonable to me. Gabe? Uh, Gabe, I think can you, you are. Yes, I can hear you can now. You hear me? Go ahead, Gabe. Okay, I to... Yes. I had to go to the backup audio. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Uh, you know, this guy's got a side business. And does Al have all these guys? So he's of just course kind he of does. <laughs> Listen, Alvarez is being. Yeah, well, Alvarez is being uh-huh, advised to take the step-aside fees. 
Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you know, you're kind of circumventing the system that you agreed to be a part of. That doesn't sound like Al Heyman at all, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think they gotta they they gotta uh, they gotta make the fight. And, and honestly, like you know, Alvarez has a shot here. It's not if he's being kind of held prisoner by the contract that he signed and and just having to take these orders. Uh, that's not really fair. That's not is that really living up to the contract? Trying to get this guy to the highest level possible as his advisor? Yeah. At what point does he stand up and raise his hand and say, excuse me, uh, I'm fighting for something. I want to win a world title and then to cash in on that. What point does he speak up and say, excuse me, what about my rights? What about my career? But again, uh, that's the deal that he's under. Here's another question from Tommy Boxeo. What are your thoughts on Danny Garcia versus Brandon Rios? I heard it's almost a done deal. Um, Gabe, I'm also hearing on Twitter, and I believe Ring Magazine reported this, that it's going to be Omar Figueroa against Adrian Broner. Um, again, recognizable names, and I guess certain people are excited by that. I, I'm really not. I think, first of all, Broner Garcia, or excuse me, Broner Figueroa just kind of looks like a loser's bracket matchup in what would be a welterweight tournament. And Garcia Rios just sounds like a sacrificing of Brandon Rios. I just don't understand that fight. I mean, Brandon looked a little better to me in his last fight, looked in really good shape. But but uh, I just, yeah, I don't see him winning that fight. I don't think of him as a welterweight, you know? Uh, I just, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just weird to me. Yeah, like you said, can, can it support these three universes? You're like, well, as long as somebody's making matches like that, that has a stable like that, I guess so. Uh, you know, but, but it, this is like stable helper, these matchups. You should be making better fights than this. Um, you know, Al Heyman should. This is ridiculous. Three four seven two one five seven five nine eight, and we wrap it up uh, with Edward Anderson, Easy Ed from the UK. Fellas, if BJS is in shape, I think he's a style nightmare for Canelo, like a bigger, sturdier lot with better punch variety and even more slippery. With a fair shake, I think he outpoints him. Am I crazy? Also, would at least be difficult for Gennady Golovkin at this age. I feel you know I don't necessarily disagree, but remember this. Lemieux was so bad, I mean, so helpless in there, that it may have created a mirage over how good Billy Joe Saunders was. We have, we have to keep that in perspective, Gabe, in my view. Yeah, uh, Jet79, uh, Jimmy, uh, said, like, let's remember, Lemieux is not that good. Um, you know, and I think it's important. I mean, he's got power uh, against the s- certain guys. Like, everybody went crazy about Curtis Stevens, but... Curtis Stevens has been stopped before, you know, and he's not exactly Bruno Whitaker in there. Uh, so, you know, it, styles make fights, and that was the right fight for, for Lemieux to look great, and this is the right fight for, for B.J. Saunders to look great. Uh, I, but I think, you know, it's a little bit of both. It's like, you know, David's limited, but also his physical condition looks like, like hell. Uh, B.J., on the other hand, you know, his style isn't the most entertaining, but he was in tremendous shape and was able to sustain that kind of performance and not tire out late. Uh, it says a lot about him, uh, and he's shaking on some rust. So you can see a little bit of the truth in in, in each of them. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. How would you would you have those fights three to one, two to one? Uh, you know, B.J. Saunders. I always would lean uh, towards B.J. Saunders over Canelo, but I I, I struggle with that with uh, with Golovkin. 
Yeah, you know what though? I, I don't think he's embarrassed in either fight though. I, I really no. do. When, when you're as sound as he is technically, and again, we're still talking about, and I mentioned this all of last week. He can box, and he's southpaw. Uh, that's usually a mix that you don't go running to if you don't have to. Three four seven two one five seven five nine eight. Uh, in twenty eight minutes, Jim Boone, Mr. Ko Tickets, joins us for his final appearance of two thousand seventeen on the next round. Gabe, let's get to the phone lines. Uh, Gabe, I think you've cut out again. Two one four, you're live on the next round. Hey, how you guys doing? I'm Good. Doing what's up? Technical difficulties. Yeah, I was wondering that. <laughs> I was wondering, um, what Oscar De La Hoya, is he coming out of retirement or not? Because every five seconds, it's one minute he's coming out of no. retirement. He's, <laughs> mind. he's giving great sound bites. I, I wouldn't take any of that seriously. Yeah, I, listen, I wish he'd stop with it. There's two things he needs to stop talking about is uh, anything related to Mayweather or Conor McGregor and coming out of retirement. It's a bad look, but I do think there's a part of it that is trolling and having some fun. I, I wish he would, though, focus more of his energy on his own company and the future. Uh, Oscar has not fought since 2008. He's right. now well past 40. I'm right. sorry. I, I have no, none, no interest in seeing him fight ever again. Yeah, I, honestly, if Oscar came out of retirement, I think he would seriously get hurt. Even if he fought like a Teal Trent or somebody. A puncher like that, I, I think Oscar just needs to chill out, you know, and, and focus on his company. He got, he got a lot of great fighters. And, um, you know, just, just stop with the whole retirement stuff. I'm, I'm tired. Well, no, and you know what? You make a great point. If you are a young prospect, or let's say any, any fighter under the Golden Boy banner, I want a promoter that's focusing in on my future, not yours. Because I, I think that's one of the general flaws of Mayweather promotions. It's not about the yeah. fighters. It's about the guy on the marquee. I agree. It's all about Mayweather. But we don't want to get into that. I don't want to upset certain people anyway. I don't want to get certain fighters at, uh, upset. At, you know, I've been doing this for 17 at, years, you know. <laughs> look at Jay-Z. You know, uh, you know th- there's a, another guy that's, you know, focused – on anything but his his boxing company, uh, yeah. So you kind of wonder is like it, it, just because you're you're successful in one thing, particularly in that kind of um, you know individual based formats like boxing or you know the entertainment industry, it doesn't mean you know you know how to make other people famous or run a boxing company. Uh, you know, right. it's, it's where, where, when's the next uh, uh, Buffalo Bills Club show that, that Floyd's doing? Yeah, and well, I think you mean Sam's Town. But, you know, listen, say what you want about Bob Arum, and you could certainly criticize him in different ways, but I know this. Every day he wakes up, he says, hey, uh, what's going on with my fighters? How can I move them? How can I make them the next star? Who can I make the next attraction? And so that, that's why I always tell young managers and young fighters or fathers that try to get into this business, don't be seduced by the signing bonus or any other – Thing. Look at the track record and the priority of the companies that you're going to align yourself with and try to think long term. Signing bonuses can be spent in 18 months. A career can last you much longer. So I just listen, uh, I do work for Golden Boy Promotions, and when I hear some of these quotes, uh, I just say to myself, hashtag groan. Anyway, anything else? Oh, no, no. Thank you guys so much. Thank you very much. 
Yeah, and by the way, an Oscar comeback in 2018 would be a worse idea than New Coke. I mean, let's just let's just quit that. Yeah, I uh, there's a difference between you know you're working out, you're 44. He's gonna be 45 next month. Uh, you know, it, it, like it, and being in boxing shape. You know, there's a whole yes. different thing. Like you're feeling good, you're working out. Yeah, but you're still 45, and you've also got a lot of miles on you from all those fights. Enjoy retirement. Uh, maybe he'll figure it out. I, I think Oscar's smoothed it out and gotten better. Uh, but you can also only play that card. I might come back uh, so many times, or even playing the you know dogging Mayweather promotion so many times, like you said. Then it just kind of gets old. Yeah, let I mean, me dog Mayweather promotions. We're focused exactly. on your thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's your job. Anyway, five eight five. Yeah, that's my job. Yeah, that's my thing. Yeah. Hey guys, it's Jake from Rochester. Jake, what's going on? Hey, what's up? Um, call me skeptical about uh, Horn being able to leverage Mundine against Crawford because if my memory serves me correct, didn't Mundine like just fight at like light heavyweight or, or some shit like that? I mean, <laughs> yeah. how, how, how's he There's a huge weight gap. There is, yeah. but maybe his thinking is, would I rather squeeze down in weight? For X amount of money or be able to gain 20 and make more money? Because think about it. In either scenario, guys, when it's all said and done, he most likely will not have that WBO title regardless. Yeah. I think Mundine is fighting at whatever the money says weight right now. Yeah. Uh, could be wrong. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. But, it's you know, going for the most money is, is uh, one of the oldest traditions in boxing. I don't blame him. Anything else, Jake? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, you know, how about John Molina, man? You know, he's, he's my favorite <laughs> gatekeeper in boxing. You know, you, you, I tweeted this at Steve the night of the fight. You know, why would Ivan Redcatch play around with a dude like John Molina and lay on the ropes? That dude's going to keep you alive on the ropes. Because Red Catch, and I hate to say it, has a low boxing IQ. Honestly. I, it just, again, I've seen Red Catch yeah. fight. He tries very hard. Um, he's got a, a zeal for the sport. He trains very hard. But, uh, again, I, I don't think he's a real thinking man's fighter. And, and you've got to know who you're facing. And when he knocked down Molina in the second but was not able to finish him, I said to myself, you know, th- this fight is far from over. I've seen this with Johnny Molina. Well, and he caught him with a right when when Redcatch was trying to finish him off, and, and and Johnny caught him really hard on the inside with a with a right that he just didn't see coming. And I think that kind of got things going uh, at least a little bit and, and slowed down Redcatch. John is just never say die, dude, and he's just he's just a big man, super strong. And I think he, in some ways because he started late, it's like he is kind of getting better each fight, or at least kind of smoothing out a little bit more each fight, uh, despite the fact that he'll never be, you know, he's never going to be Pernell Whitaker either, but uh, I, I really just, uh, you know, you, you can't say enough about it. guys like that are kind of the lifeblood of the sport in some sense, or keep it exciting. Anything else? Jake, Jake is there anything else we could do for you? No, thanks, guys. All right, Hi, thank you very much. If you want to join, join in, 347-215-7598, and we'll take your tweets all night long, at Steve 
UCN Live and at Gabriel underscore Montoya. Gabe? Uh, 530. You're live on the next round. Good evening, Gabe, Steve, Ringside Robert. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to both. Robbie, Um, welcome aboard. Um, Steve, uh, I was very sad to see what happened to Antoine Douglas when that originally happened. And I think Saturday night proved that uh, it's unsafe for him to continue his career. Uh, And I'm sorry to say that because before he fought the little guy, uh, I thought he had a bright future, but that fight totally ended his career, totally destroyed it, and I don't think it's safe for him to fight anymore, honestly. If his handlers really cared about his future, they would say, that's it, kid. Uh, seriously, and this, this it kind of reminded me of Davey Moore post Roberto Duran, Felix Trinidad, uh, what he did to Fernando Vargas. You can alter a career just by letting a fight go on a round or two too long. Uh, look, a more recent example that might be more analogous based on the levels, Glenn Tapia against James Kirkland. Yep. It happens. I, I mean, uh, my my fear was if he continues, it could wind up to be another Dan- Daniel Franco or, you know, Pritchard Cologne. Yeah. You know, uh, you know. listen, uh, Roy Jones on this night nailed it. He said, uh-oh, I don't like the way this guy's reacting to punches. And um, he just had this look like he was almost mummified by the end. Yeah. It was very, very alarming to see. Now, uh, on to Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, now, look, I know that, uh, you know, Canelo and Golovkin, uh, one of them is eventually going to fight this dude. Uh, if you make that a pay-per-view fight, how do you how do you promote that? Because I don't know. Uh, now I have nothing against Billy Joe. I you know he did what he had to do against David Lemieux. But looking at the future, how do you promote the fact that this is going to be a unification bout and expect people to pay for it on pay-per-view? Well, <laughs> they did. <laughs> they did Canelo and Liam Smith on pay-per-view. And, yeah, uh, but you know they did Golovkin Lemieux on pay per view. Unfortunately, with the way the budgets are today, uh-huh. when a fighter makes a certain amount of money, whether that fight is worthy of the pay per view label, unfortunately, it becomes a matter of finances. Yeah, well, I'm I'm thinking of the style matchup and how attractive that would be to enough boxing people to actually get them to buy it, um, because. Uh, I, I think, uh, like, for example, if he fought Canelo, uh, Canelo would be lost in there because Canelo has very difficult time with people that move. Uh, and I, I I do think that Triple G would do better against that style. But the longer you wait for a fight like this, because Triple G is getting older, I mean, the longer you wait, uh, the more interesting for boxing people that might become. But you know, how do you sell this to the general public is what I'm what I'm thinking. Yeah, but you know what the way I say it now, it ain't my problem. That's not right. my problem. Hey, I, not my money on the line. Yeah, well, at least we don't have to worry about Al Heyman business. I mean, uh, God, it must be nice to get paid all kinds of money just to keep skipping fights or or not taking fights. I mean, uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, Robbie, you know, I wish you... there was something that, that could be done about the way that that particular 
um, side of the fence does business. Boxing is boxing, and I guess it'll continue forever. You know, pretty much. Robbie, your opinion on Figueroa Broner and Garcia Rios? Um, basically, the Figueroa Broner uh, thing—that that's—that reminds me of a, an elimination match in wrestling, where where if oh, loser person, leaves town. Yeah, when the <laughs> when the person loses, we never see him Love again. Uh, as far as Garcia and uh, Rios, actually, Brandon might have a better shot of fighting a guy like Danny Garcia because at least Brandon's fought recently. Danny hasn't fought since March. Um, you know, yeah. uh, um, but I do think that this is sacrificing Brandon. And the the more I see the way they do their business over there, uh, the more disgusted I get. And Mikey Garcia had better give up trying to fight uh, top rank or golden boy people because he signed his life blood away to Al Heyman, and he's going to get stuck with one PBC guy after another. Right, and for him to keep saying, well, I might fight Linares after, or Lomachenko doesn't want me, no. Uh, again, uh, that is that is extremely disingenuous of Mikey to say that. Yeah, and he needs to learn that he he lives now in a certain universe. Because remember, I made the comment of quite a few shows back, where remember how Mikey would give in interviews, he would say, "I'll fight anybody, but yep. they have to do it on Showtime." Well, right. He he's now in the Showtime universe, and he's stuck with PBC fighters. Yeah, and by in the way, case, I believe Oscar's in the best shape of his life and coming back more than I believe Mikey's going to fight out of the Showtime universe. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Jeez, Gabe! Wow! Yeah. Shot across the bow. Photos, you know. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I mean this is a, this is guy that that needs to learn what what universe he's in. And by the way, if I, if I'm the WBC at 135, if he continues to take fights at 140, I strip him right. of that belt. Yeah, I don't understand that. The WBC, and again, it's a mixed bag. They do some really good things. But when it comes to certain situations, like every other sanctioning body, it's a little bit shady. It kind of makes you raise your eyebrow just a little bit. Robbie, anything else? Um, no, man. Uh, I, I just wanted to uh, be sure to call in because I'm sure that next two weeks you're not doing shows. So I wanted to be sure to call in before the year ended and say you guys do a wonderful job, and I enjoy being here every week. And, uh, and look and forward Robbie, to a great 2018. Yes, us too, and Robbie, as always, thank you for your patronage of our show. We appreciate it. You have a great holiday season. All right, bye. 347-215-7598. Gabe, who's next? Uh, 405. You're live on the next round. 405? Hello, how are you guys doing? Santos from Oklahoma. Santos, what's going on? Not much. When I want to... Well, one of my, my favorite fights to see is the, the ending of the John Molina versus Mickey Bay fight. Because I love looking into the crowd and seeing uh, Leonard Ellaby and Floyd and the whole crew, like, laughing and hugging when Mickey Bay's in total control. But when John Molina connects, the reaction of them yelling at it, it's so funny. I think it's, it's great. <laughs> That's one of the all-time great Twitter moments in watching a fight. And I remember Leonard Ellaby basically doing a 360. And don't forget... <laughs> Mickey Bay, about 30 seconds before he got hit with that big left hook, actually saluted Floyd and just was congratulating himself on this great performance, <laughs> and then it all came to a crashing end. 
Mm. That's a hard yeah. one to live with, man. I got to go back and watch that again. That and the uh, Martinez Williams too. Uh, watching the ringside reactions of that is just glorious. Uh, just I mean, I, 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 I had a know. question for you. Yeah. Uh, Steve, uh, is that a Barrera and Bilbo fight official yet, or is it still working on it? Not official, but I believe it will be very soon. I think that's going to be the fight March 3rd at the Theater of MSG. No, that's going to be a good one right there. Good fight. I like that fight. Absolutely. Yeah, one more thing. Uh, we've had, um, that Mikey Garcia, that would be in San Antonio, right? Yes, Alamo Dome. Mm. I'm not sure that you sound you sound you sound very excited by that. <laughs> no, because like he had said, Mike was saying how it was bigger things coming in. I like the lip in this fight, but I don't love it. Like it's okay. Like the other the Broner, Figueroa, and the other fights are all trash fights. Just call it what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, listen, it, it, I don't know what to say. They're not bad. But they're not great either. Uh, as Bill Belichick would say, they are what they are. We're moving on to Cincinnati. All right, that's all I had, guys. Grumble, Thank grumble. You. Thank you, Santos. Three four seven two one five seven five nine eight. At the top of the hour, Jim Boone makes his final appearance on the next round for 2017. Gabe. Uh, eight six zero. You're live on the next round. Hey, how you guys doing? It's CT. CT, hey, what's, what's going on? Doing all right. Uh, I was really impressed with Billy Joe Sanders this Saturday. I, I know stylistically, um, I, I know I picked him to win, uh, but I think he's going to be uh, that convincing. Uh, I thought Lemieux would at least have his moments, but, uh, man, he was outboxing the shit out of Lemieux. Um, with that type of performance, it definitely uh, opens eyes. And I think he will be definitely effective versus uh, Triple G or Canelo. The only thing is, uh, I know Triple G and uh, Canelo do a better job at cutting off the ring, but stylistically, Canelo's always had problems with that, that type of boxer. So I'm interested to see how he matches up against both of them. Yeah, you know, it's funny about that fight. It, it kind of reminds I was on a talk show one time. I was on this panel. And one of the other panelists was Pat Williams, who's a longtime NBA GM, very nice guy. And he made a joke, he said, about NBA draft choices who are busts or, or disappointments. He said, you know, guys, if you could watch every player in the NBA for one year and you redraft them, you, you, every player would be what you expect. In other words, there'd be no bust because you find out what you have. That was one of those fights on Saturday night that after one round, you said, uh-oh, Saunders is going to win. You just knew it. Like, you literally thought after the first three moments, three minutes, unless Lemieux strikes lightning, he had no shot at all on that particular night. He didn't look like he had, you know, anything explosive uh, to offer. It, movement, uh, no energy. It just, he was like, oh, his plans to follow him around and occasionally wing shots. Yeah, this is going to be a long 12 rounds. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, uh, I thought I read something today. Uh, I'm not sure. Did you guys hear about uh, Jamal Charlo fighting uh, Hugo Centennial? Yeah, I heard that might be February 17th. Now, is that official? Because I, I actually wrote about that fight last week. Eric Brown, the trainer of Centennial, was uh, kind of – Looking forward to that fight. Has that been made official? Uh, 
I, I just read today that it's like I think it's rumored to be. But yeah, I mean the people I have been talking about that fight for about a month now. Um, so you know who knows when they slot it, they slot it. <laughs> I like to see the matchup if they can make it happen. Um, also, I, I was, this is my first time ever seeing um, Ulysse. I was definitely impressed. Uh, I, I never seen the guy fight before, but he, you know, he's very athletic and he throws punches very, very straight and very accurate. I know, you know, stylistically, it was a matchup that was made for him to win. But uh, I would like to definitely see him again, see him match up against anybody at 140. I think he's, uh, you know, he's one one guy to look out for. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think he's got a lot of tools, and it will be interesting to see when he when he faces someone who isn't so one dimensional uh, in that ring and provides much more of a threat. CT, listen, you have a great Christmas. Thank you for joining us throughout the year. Thank you. You too. Three four seven two one five seven five. Nine eight. Gabe, who's next? Uh, two eight one. You're live on the next round. Hey guys, this is Nate. Hey, Nate, what's, what's going on? Uh, well, you know, I was just looking. Jeff Horn doesn't fight Crawford, and that probably and that means Crawford and somebody else would fight for the title, right? Yeah, they probably go down the rankings, and yeah, let me look and, right here at what the WBO yeah. says. I know that Matisse. Yeah, that's is certainly up at. there, but Matisse is fighting for the WBA belt, so I don't believe he would yeah. be in the offing now. At 147 so, of the so WBO, goes, it would Crawford, be Matisse, Bradley Pacquiao. Skeet, oh, Igis Kavalishkis, the Mean Machine, or Konstantin Potomarov. So, I mean, there's some pretty good fights within that mix. Actually, they're probably, I don't know Skeet at all, but um, I, <laughs> I guess any of them would be better, eh, better eh, than, uh, you know, <laughs> would be better than Horn. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Listen, do I think it's an upgrade? <laughs> Not really, no. So um, the Alamo Dome is kind of a big place. How many people do you suppose? Well, it depends. <laughs> I don't know what the that. pricing I mean, is. Well, here's the thing about the Alamo Dome. You don't have to use the whole thing. I mean, you, listen, you could use the whole stadium like they did for Pernell Whitaker and Julio Cesar Chavez, or you could use uh, one third of the arena as they did for a couple of Chavez fights. So yeah, you know. yeah, but I just don't see anyone going to this fight. <laughs> really? Even but, though Mikey Garcia is a big name Mexican American, you, you don't see that popping at all. I, I, I mean, as far as like what, what's his real popularity across? I don't really see that. I mean, against good, like you know, that's a good question. That's a yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah I mean, boxing heads. Everyone's like, oh yeah, Mikey Garcia, pound for pound, or you know, whatever. But as far as you know, but wait a minute, but wait a minute, Nate, Nate, are, are we forgetting the Kill Rillick Francis Bartholomew rematch as the co-feature? Huh? That's a hot <laughs> rematch, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my my bad, my bad. Good card. <laughs> but here's I got after. Um, a couple fights last week and stuff, I got to thinking about, um, you know, overachievement, underachievement, and someone that does about what you expect across our careers. So I, I got I got the quiz list for you. See what you guys think of, of, uh, of, of uh, overachieve, underachiever, what about you were expected. All right? Okay. So, Evander Holyfield. Overachiever. Yeah. Especially at heavyweight. Okay. Yeah, overachiever. Yeah, overachiever, no question. James Tony. Under. Hmm. <laughs> I, don't know, I know Bruce Trampler believes this. 
Yeah, he could have done more with more discipline. I just I don't know if anybody ever expected him to do what he did. Uh, but but yeah, I would say underachiever, particularly that Roy Jones fight. You know he wants that back. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, I agree. Um, Buster Douglas. Under. Yeah, underachiever. Even heading into the Tyson fight, he was thought of as an underachiever. Had all the tools, just didn't didn't put it together. Uh, Michael Moore. Under. Uh, that's weird. That's hard. Having met him and stuff, it's kind of like he did just what I thought he would do because he seemed kind of like a head case and him and Teddy, Teddy John in your face. Yeah, that's not true. You know, yeah, and he like, was. How, a, you know what the you know the problem with his career was? His best weight was probably light heavyweight, and he never really was in that mix for big fights. He was kind of avoided. He was an early WBO champion, and and then, you know, yeah. and, he, and he did win the heavyweight title twice. It's hard to say he underachieved now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a tough one. He was a monster at light heavy too, but he just wasn't. Oh my god, long. he was punching through people. Oh yeah. my goodness! All right, Juan Manuel Marquez achieved hmm. exactly what he should have. I thought he was always a, a special talent. Overachiever, okay. just based on that Pacquiao fight. <laughs> <laughs> the, the I get an overachiever too. Just uh, on the knockout, Andre yeah. Andre Ward. Um, um, he achieved what he should have, don't you think? You know, gold medalist, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, but he didn't have the Quan, you know? He didn't have the total adoration of everyone, all the money, the power. He didn't end up like Floyd. It, it's a, kind of a weird Larry Holmes-ish, uh, maybe, you know, career. Uh, the no no respect. Yeah. But also just not that exciting. Uh, I don't know. Well, that, I, I think ultimately, to me, just, he didn't. I mean, there's fights on the table that he never took. I mean, mostly because he was so inadequate, right? I mean, inactive. Sorry about that. <laughs> you know, but I would say Freudian <laughs> slip there, huh? <laughs> right. Watching, watching the career, it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like how I look at more. Maybe it's just, you know, it's hard to, to look at it with hindsight, you know, uh, or take the hindsight out of it. But the way he fights, it's kind of safe. The fights he decided to take or when he decided to take them. Besides, I guess, the Kovalev fight. Uh, you know, we're kind of safe. The Super Six fights, some good matchups in there for him at the right time. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, it's it's uh, and then just call it quits before things get too dangerous. Before you get into that place where you're going to take yeah. advantage of. So yeah, I mean, if you really look at his personality, the way he fights all together, it's it's what he was going to achieve or you know what he should have. Roy Jones. He achieved mm-hmm. what? Um, I guess he achieved what he should have, right? I mean. <laughs> He didn't have a guy to push him when he was at his best. So we don't really know. You know, he never went out and looked for that guy. Yeah, Darius Mikulczewski, he left him on the table. You know what I found interesting, guys, on the HBO broadcast? He brought up Stevie Collins as if somehow he was desperately trying to make that fight. No, he wasn't. He was on HBO, and Steve Collins was on the other side of the fence. Uh, I don't remember him actively trying to make that fight. I, I really, I really don't. didn't like the the revisionist history, and again, no reporter sitting next to him, but a fanboy uh, to you know uh, to call him and say that's actually not how it went down. That's actually not his. Did you know? Did you know, you know this, you're now like fighting a fight without fighting it. That's bullshit. You, this is what I would have done. Gabe, you, what you did is not yeah, <laughs> Gabe, you got to give Max a break. He actually disagreed with Roy once on that card. Okay. In, in, that, in that Antoine Douglas fight, 
<laughs> he, oh wow! Well, actually, I was listening to the that. UK, uh, the UK feed for the most part. I heard the Stevie Collins stuff and was like, "Come on now." Yeah, uh, Nate. Anything else? We got to get going here. No, that's it, man. Just uh, thanks for entertaining. <laughs> All right, Nate. Have a great Christmas. Thank you for joining us throughout the year. Uh, and Gabe, uh, look for the Boondoggles. See if he's on the line. We're up here at 4.59 Pacific time. Uh, once again, this is the year-end show for 2017. Folks, if you have any year-end memories, um, I mean, we, don't, we could talk about fight of the year, fighter of the year, comeback of the year, trainer of the year. Um, anything on your mind, go ahead, drop us a dime at 347-215-7598. We'll probably take a two-week sabbatical uh, after this show tonight. Gabe, is Jim Boone on the line? He is, and uh, Nate, that's uh, consider that quiz an early Christmas gift. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Jim, are you with us? Hello, Jimmy. Hello. What's going on, gentlemen? How's everybody doing? We are doing, doing well. great, Jim. As we put a bow on this year, um, from your perspective, as someone that's in the ticket business, obviously a boxing fan, what what are some of the memories that you have? I think overall, as far as ticketing in the sport, it was a very strong sport. I mean, we're going to look at the highlights, obviously, with the Joshua fight and what they were able to do in England, but also in the United States, I think, with uh, Gennady Golovkin and his success, the continued success of Crawford and what he did uh, fighting in Nebraska again. And then just the other shows, I mean, Golden Boy did a great job with the Canelo show uh, when he was matched up against Chavez Jr. Obviously, the fight was terrible, but that was a big promotion, a big sellout. And um, what we saw recently up in um, up in California with uh, uh, Jose Ramirez and, you know, the continued success they're having up there. So overall, I think the sport was very healthy as far as ticketing-wise. I think in general, promoters really started to focus on using their brains and not overcharging, not shooting themselves in the foot beforehand by charging too much money. A lot of the fights where you have a get-in price now under $50, which is completely appropriate for most of the, most of the cards. So I think overall it was a very it was a, it was a good year for the sport as far as the tickets. Jim, if there's a fighter that looks like they're about to break through as a much bigger draw, it, it, it's clear to me it might be Vasil Lomachenko. Am I off base on that? No, no, absolutely, 100% correct. If you look at his development and you know the way Top Rank is taking him from the small rooms, which is something very very smart for promoters. It's great to put a guy in a room with 2,500 people and have him sell it out and then go to 3,000 and sell that room out and then go to 5,500 and sell that room out. It's the gradual progression, and it's a healthy way of doing it, and it creates a hype around the fighter. It makes sense when a person wants to go to the fight, they have the opportunity, and they wait, and you know what? Now you've got you to gotta pay the price because it's sold out. It creates an excitement to it. And if you look at Lomachenko, with what he's done, especially on the high-end tickets. And that's the thing that I really noticed over the last couple fights. That started the Cosmopolitan, and it broke through when he fought at, uh, at that new uh, MGM resort in, uh, in Maryland. The L.A. show wasn't that strong, to be honest with you, but the high-end tickets held. And then, hmm. you know, last week in New York was absolutely off the charts, through the roofs. You know, I've done this for 18 years. I had a number in my mind that the really good ring sides would bring. And I, w I was so far off that number. I was so low on it. It's just the people just kept buying and pushing the price and pushing the price up. And he's a superstar. He, he is a superstar in the stages. But if you even look on, like, the social media stuff, 
you know, these little videos he, put, he puts out, you start looking at like, the retweets and, and the views on it, and you're getting into some serious numbers where people are starting to really pay attention. And I believe he's kind of crossing over outside just the normal boxing people. So I think he is definitely becoming, ticket-wise, a new superstar. Gabe? Who's uh, the, the biggest surprise to you this year, uh, whether it was a success or a failure of a card? Um, that's a good question. As far as the biggest surprise, I mean, I think all the good cards, like the bigger cards, all kind of performed like we expected. I will say one thing, um, the Thurman Garcia card in New York, which if you remember, they kind of, it was kind of languishing and they, they dropped prices the week of, and then that thing absolutely just exploded the weekend of. You know, I talked to people that were out there, and they said, you know, literally piles of people were coming off that subway. They were without tickets. I think that was a little bit of a surprise. It kind of was, you know, one of those Brooklyn shows. It seemed like it's kind of, you know, going to taper off at the end. That one went the other direction, got really, really hot late. I think, honestly, I think like I mentioned earlier, the Golden Boy show with Canelo versus Chavez Jr., you know, obviously the names are a big matchup, but kind of with these big cards, Golden Boy is kind of just not priced it right, didn't want to sell the tickets. And with that card, they really did everything right. You know, they, they put $200 tickets, $300 tickets available. They put them in droves. And that one kind of steamrolled just with that opening, you know, on sale really, you know, gathered momentum. You know, obviously with, you know, what what Triple G's done, we're, we're consistently just, you know, blown away with his popularity. I mean, the fight in New York was really good. Um, I mean, as far as cards that kind of bombed out, I mean, I wasn't really surprised by them. I mean, I can look at a card and kind of know up front. And basically mm-hmm. it's just things that don't make sense and, and pricing. And if you want to talk about, you know, with, uh, I believe it was Nate was just on the line talking about the Alamo Dome. I mean, there, you want to talk about a card that doesn't make sense. I mean, you can look at the map, how they're going to scale that thing. That is just crazy. I mean, oh. so – so, Jimmy, yeah. you don't like the prospects for February 10th. You're not going to remember the Alamo Dome. Well, I mean, let's just say that whatever their scaling is, let's say, oh, we can get 20,000 people in here. Okay, but it holds like 60-plus thousand. What type of yes. atmosphere is that going to generate? I mean, the fact of the matter <laughs> is save the Alamo Dome for the, the Final Four this year, or two, in 2018. Why would you put a card that's probably going to struggle anyway in, in somewhere that large? I mean – you got to think about the fans, too. I mean, that's why these smaller venues, you know, it gets excitement. The theater at the Garden, people were saying, well, they should have put Lomachenko in the big room. Well, certainly could have supported the big room from what we saw, but why not put him in a smaller place where it's a monster sellout, it's a hot ticket, the excitement that goes along with that. I mean, it's just more appropriate. So, And then the other big bomb as far as ticket-wise was obviously the Mayweather fight. I mean, the way they priced that, on the short, I mean, certainly the gate was huge. We're not arguing that. But you want to talk about a, a ticket that sold more seats under face value than any other card in history? That was the one. I mean, that that was, but that wasn't just because. Wow. I mean, it's just, well, I mean, this uh, yeah. seventy-five hundred dollar ticket that's not even good plus eight hundred dollars in service fees. I mean, the day of the on sale, I told people you could have that for five thousand dollars. I wish I would have sold more because they went for about two thousand. I mean, it, that that's just. That's just common sense. No one's spending that much money for for that. I mean, it's just that's an impossibility. So, but like I said, overall, there's not too many surprises because you can kind of, kind of foresee what's happening just by the venue, you know. And and like they say, I, I one a good point, Gabe would be I, I think kind of the Cotto fight. His last fight was kind of a disappointment. You know, Golden mm. Boy signed him, and I think that was kind of a backup maybe in case 
Canelo got blown up by Triple G, they would do that again. But, I mean, that was kind of going out with a whimper. I know they said they got 10,000 people in there, but, I mean, I'm looking at one section, one off center, and they sold like a dozen out of 350 seats. So that, that was kind of disappointing, especially with how, you know, how great of a career that Cotto had and being such a, you know, really uh, instrumental ticket seller at the Garden. So, But overall, I think it was, it, was, it was positive all the way around. Jim, was there a bigger cluster bomb than Kovalev Ward 2? Uh, yeah, I should have brought it up. That's an excellent point, Steve. Yeah, that that was a joke. I mean, once again, it's the scaling of that. I mean, they moved it out of T-Mobile, which made sense, put it in at Mandalay Bay. But just, it's just out-of-touch pricing by some of the promoters that they're not, you know, I have to actually sell the ticket. You know, the promoter, they can put it on sale. They talk to the venue. They talk to the box office manager who talks to Ticketmaster or whoever the primary is going to be. I actually have to talk to people and try to sell these things. And I get a pretty immediate response when I say, well, this is what it's going to cost for that. And a lot of times if someone hangs up on you. And with those prices, I mean, that, that, that's just not realistic for what that fight is. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not really being in touch with the market. And like I mentioned earlier, that's been one of the more positive things, I think, minus that fight and a couple others, where people are starting to realize, A, you've got to price the seats and, you know, appropriately, and B, you've got to actually sell the damn things, holding them and pretending like they're sold out to try to make people – buy, you know, a P2, a cheaper seat, uh, excuse me, a more expensive seat doesn't doesn't really matter. It doesn't really make sense, excuse me. Jim, I know you're a Las Vegas native, and you like having fights in, in your jurisdiction. Putting that aside, there weren't a lot of cards in Vegas this year, major ones. I, I believe there is a Bob Bennett effect. There, I'm, I'm just being told by various entities they'd rather not deal with them. Putting that aside, is that good or bad for boxing? I think it's bad for boxing. You know, I understand a lot of times people get frustrated that the big fights always seem to end up in Las Vegas and the average fan seems like they're they're, they're cut out. And I don't think that's – I think that's more of the fault of the promoter, you know, with how they hold the tickets and everything else. As far as the Bob Bennett effect – excuse me, fighting a little bit of a cold. Um, You know, Top Rank didn't do a single show here as far as I – unless I'm forgetting something, Top Rank didn't do a show here. You know, Golden Boy did the two Canelo fights, and um, they did an ESPN card at the Park Theater, which could be developed into a very nice theater. I mean, it is, I think it's bad for the sport because I think part of boxing has to be the experience. Going to Vegas, meeting your buddies, going out and getting shit-faced, having a good time gambling, and going to the fights. That's part of the fun of it. And, you know, if, if we could have some cards outside of Cinco de Mayo and, um, and September 15th, I think that would be good overall. I wonder, you know, just if it's healthier, though, for the sport, like I was, I was thinking about like the ESPN deal and that we're getting a new saturation in, in that market and, and, and meeting new people uh, with a high-level product. And that, but, you know, part of that is like Jose Ramirez is in, in Reno uh, and you're developing like that, those kind of home draws again, which I think we, we got a little too Vegas-centric, though, for a while, don't you think? And at the same no, time, I- like we don't, we don't have that star guy that is a Vegas fighter right now. I, I think that you're 100% correct on that. And I think it's great when, when Ramirez goes back. You know, he's going to fight on um, St. Patrick's Day, which is a brilliant move by top rank. Um, he's going to fight in New York, hopefully win the belt. Then he can come back to Fresno, fight there as the prodigal son coming home. They can sell another twelve to 15,000 people, continue to develop that brand, 
You know, they've done the same thing with Terrence Crawford, obviously. This year they had the fight in New York, which, once again, we talk about scaling something appropriately. The fight did not sell great. I'm not saying it did. But at least it was just the lower level of the garden, so it was nice and cozy in there. It was a good environment. You know, and then he goes to Nebraska, down to Lincoln for the first time. It's absolutely huge. And um, I'm excited to have him fight in Vegas. I know a lot of people have kind of said that April fight in Las Vegas doesn't make sense. I totally disagree. You know, people forget the last time he fought in Vegas against um, uh, Postal for the you know his first unification at 140. They scaled MGM for 7,700 people. Once again, appropriate scaling, and that fight mm-hmm. did very very well and was damn near sold out of the lower level. And then they had the issue with Southwest. You know, the, the Southwest computers went down. So that week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there was no Southwest in, in, in America, and that's the main route between Las Vegas and Omaha. And I talked to more people that weekend that had driven from Omaha like seven hours to Denver in order to come support their fighter. So I think now Crawford's gotten so big and he's gotten so good mm. that a fight in Las Vegas is appropriate in, in April if they do that. He'll do the fight in yeah. April and then hopefully a monster summer fight. I think it's going to go back to Lincoln just because Lincoln is a little bigger than uh, the venue in um, in Omaha. The CenturyLink is uh, a little bigger than CenturyLink. And maybe they put it outside at the football stadium, do, do a, a giant thing like that. So I agree having them come to Vegas, having them come to New York, but always, always building that home crowd, which is something they've done a real good job, you know, doing at top rank, especially, you know, with Ramirez with um, and, with, and with Crawford. And certainly something that they got to go back to doing with uh, Deontay Wilder. Because his first couple of shows in Alabama did decent. They got big crowds in there. And then they got cute yeah. and started raising the prices. And then it, it doesn't, it, you lose the consistency where he doesn't fight at all. And you kind of lose that momentum that you have. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. some. Go ahead. Jim, about the March 17th show with Amir Mom and Jose Ramirez, I asked Bob Aaron, I'm like, Bob, why are you taking this out of Fresno? And his explanation was because him and King are going at it again because, you know, King has a mere mom, and this may be the last time they ever go head-to-head. They feel that being in New York, major media market, that they could do so many talk shows that they otherwise couldn't do in the Fresno Central Valley area and get more publicity for the fight that he said, hey, listen, let Ramirez, if he wins the fight, he'll come back, first title defense, we'll be in Fresno. So there is some long-term thinking there. Jim, you've seen the early schedule, and we have shows that I consider major going all the way up to March, March 17th being one of them. Yes. Have any of the early shows that are on the calendar popped to you that said, ooh, that one, that one right there is going to do well? Anything stand uh, out? As far as right now, how things are trending, and, I mean, if you look at the first one in January, uh, the, um, what is it, 20th, the Spence Lamont Peterson show, I mean, it's just the seats are sitting there. I'm not seeing movement. It's kind of tough at Barclays because they always dress the house for television right off the bat, so you don't get to actually it's, – it's hard to judge it because it's like one row is available, one row is not. That looks like it's stagnant. The uh, the Golden Boy show at the Forum, I don't understand that at all. you got to tell you know Eric Gomez, and he's doing a great job, but opponents matter. And universally, everybody talks about you know the Matisse Lenares, and they're like, who are they fighting? Yeah. Um, the one, the one fight that that's really gaining traction already is Superfly Two. I mean that that's the one that I'm getting calls on. That's the one I can look at. Little blue dot disappearing. I think it's going to be a very good promotion. It's priced right. The first one was so powerful at StubHub. I mean, I don't think anybody left that venue 
without having a great a great time. And you know, and people are buying tickets now, and they still know there's a third fight to be added as far as the HBO broadcast. So that's I think is going to I think that's really going to take off and be good. As far as that, nothing else is really on sale yet. So we'll hmm. see how it takes off. But I, I love I love the uh, St. Patrick's Day card, and putting Michael Conlon on there again. You know, mm-hmm. right off the bat, I mean, geez, you put a, you put an Irish Olympian in New York on St. Paddy's Day on Saturday night. I mean, w- w- why would they do that? I can't figure that out. I mean, it's just, <laughs> and, and, uh, I mean that's, that's not that's not the Alamo Dome. I mean, it it it, it just makes so much sense. Once again, yeah, it's exciting when the event's sold out. It's exciting when the fighter walks in and it's it is wall to wall people going ape shit. That's what's fun. Having yeah, I mean, empty sections. It doesn't make any sense. It, it's, uh, Jim, that on that note, I was there at the Mandalay Bay a couple of weeks ago for the Salido Roman fight, and I thought it was a decent little show. And I'm just looking around this cavernous big arena that I love, the Mandalay Bay Event Center, and I'm saying to myself, Barrera Morales. I don't know if you guys realize this, but when they fought the first time in February of 2000, they actually only used half the venue. Yeah. Yep. Most of it was curtained off. And I'm thinking to myself, this is lunacy. Why weren't any of those sections curtained off on December 9th? I, I, I think it was, I mean, they were smart enough not to sell at 200 levels. So they got that right right off the bat. I think the $50 the ticket was it was too much. And, listen, there is an issue right now with Mandalay Bay, people not going there. I mean, that's just the reality of it. You know, during the same time, the National Finals Rodeo, uh, which is 10 straight nights of a sellout at Thomas and Mack Center. They have a big show there. I know some guys that are at the Mandalay Bay in the show, like the convention area, for the rodeo. Even though it was record crowds this year for the rodeo, they were down like 40%. Huh. So I think there is a little, a little bit of a stigma. That's not an excuse for the lack of attendance. I don't think the local promotion was strong enough. And I think it was just an issue with uh, Burchell getting hurt and the delay getting on sale. And then they literally went on sale – you know, the week before, you know, Thanksgiving and, you know, it's limited budgets and everything. Plus, AXS is a dog shit, you know, ticketing system that Mandalay Bay uses. I, I, you know, I just play with the system. I mean, on the, when they, you know, they, they want $7 to pick up the tickets. I mean, it's like on top of the service fee. It's like now you're charging for will call. I mean, it's like at some point it's like the $50 ticket you want to for 100 bucks. It ends up being like $150. I mean, now it's a $75 ticket. It's just too much, especially for that card. I mean, it was a great card, good fights, had a good time there, but it was it was certainly. I, I was surprised it was that empty. I thought it would have done better than it did, and, and it, it it didn't perform at all, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, but if they would like, like you said, if they would have had a curtain off, at least it wouldn't have looked it wouldn't have looked so bad. Yeah, I remember walking in after I pick up my credential, Gabe, and I'm thinking, okay, let's see the configuration for this arena, and I walk in near the uh, media center. And I said to myself, okay, where are the black curtains? Can we get some black curtains here up, please? Wow. What's going on with the – I didn't know they never came. That. No, I yeah. don't know. And I don't know. I, I, I assumed based on how they configured it and how they, they – they, 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 you know, the 200 level was blocked off. I thought they were going to curtain it. So I'm not sure if it was an expense issue they didn't want to do it or whatever the reason was, but that made no sense. And that would have made it look a, a lot more just not glaring, you know, glaringly empty. You know, it, it, it was yeah that, that it, did, it was not a good look, and I do know that they try to put it to Park Theater. That's where they wanted to go because the Park Theater can drop down, and they could have configured it for more of that you know three to four thousand seat range, and the Park Theater was under construction. So 
And that ah, was also okay. part of it. They, they, they're, listen, the initial date when they were going to do it without Burchell, or, excuse me, initially when they were they were putting together, they believed the Park Theater was going to be available, and it wasn't. So I think mm. that was it was just, you know, it, it was it, it was too big of a room for that crowd. Uh, Jim, I just have one more question here. March 3rd, it's coming out now. I, don't, I think it will be announced later this week, uh, officially. Dimitri Bivol looks like he's going to be fighting Sullivan Barrera, and uh, Sergey Kovalev will be the main event fighting a rather nondescript guy at the Garden, uh, the theater. Now, the last show that he did, uh, listen, it really didn't do well at all. In fact, it was abysmal. Does that show do any better in your view? I think it does. I think the problem with Kovala is he's been like bouncing around. He has, you know, going back to the point of having a home, a home business, a home base. You know, from day one, Kovala should have had the home base at the theater. It's a great venue for boxing. It's the right size. It's in New York City, and I think with his performance the last time, where he looked so good, and I think with with, with a co-main, which is a really, really good fight in my opinion, I think it's going to do a lot better. You know, main events has to pay attention to what they're doing. I mean, you have to at some point blame the promoter when I'm looking at the exact same seat sitting there for eight straight weeks and there's no sale. you got to say, okay, $350 is not working, so make an adjustment. And, mm. and they, 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 they didn't do it. I mean, I don't know how you don't look at the audit and say, okay, well, well how many 350s did we sell? I mean, after a couple of days of selling none of them, you might want to say, well, maybe there's a price, you know, you're coming up against pricing issues. So I think if they price it a little bit more appropriately with it, with that co-main and his, his great performance the last time, I think they got a good opportunity to do a lot better than he did. Gabe, mm. anything for Booney? Uh, you know, just a pure boxing fan question. If you could see one fight next year, whether it's been made or not, what would it be? What do you want to see next year? I would love to see, well, I'd love to see the rematch of uh, Triple G Canelo. You know, there's... <laughs> I guess that that'd be the easiest yeah. answer. I'd like to, I'd like to see that rematch because I think that's uh, either that or I'd like to see uh, Wilder uh, fight uh, Joshua. Hmm. Yeah, I go with either. Okay. Race. Yeah. As far as as far as just mega mega fights for the sport, and then other than that, there's so many good fighters. I mean, the whole PBC side of the fence. I think they got at least a good start with uh, Lamont Peterson fighting. Um, uh, fighting Errol, um, Spence. Uh, Errol Spence, but I mean, could we get that guy going? Could could Errol Spence get three fights this year? And you know, I'd like to see more of the Charlos. I mean, there's there's a lot of good fights to be made. You just got to make them. And if the PBC like is gonna stick to Brooklyn, that's fine. But get some good matchups in there. Matchup, they got a lot of talent now. Match them up. You know, the experiment is three years into it. Let's let let's get some some big matchups and see what they can do. So. Hmm. Well, Jimmy, listen, it's been a great year. We're going to continue keeping in touch with you in 2018. Jim, thank you for all your contributions this year. Thank you, guys. Uh, Gabe, Steve, I really appreciate it, and uh, thank you to all the fans. I've gotten so many calls from the show, so I want to, you know, reach out and say thanks to everybody. It's good just talking, you know, boxing fans, talking to the people. You know, my business has changed over the years so much where now everything is – all my sales are to Vivid Seats or StubHub, which is just basically I hit print. I print an air bill for the tickets and the FedEx, and that's it. So it's nice actually talking to the fans because, you know, as the business has changed, we've kind of lost that where the phones don't ring. Everything's on the computer. So I really enjoyed mm. it, and I appreciate it very much. All right. And, Jim, if okay. a fan wants to get in touch with you about any event, I mean, literally, you have access to this. How can they uh, reach out to you? You can always pick up the telephone, call me, 
283-8699, or go ahead and to Twitter at KO Tickets. You got the phone number, the website there. Just uh, give me a call or click on that, or send me a message, and I can definitely take care of uh, your needs as far as boxing. All right, Jimmy. Listen, have a great Christmas, man. We'll talk soon, okay? Definitely, guys. Thank you very much. And right, that man. was Mr. Peace. KO Tickets, Jim Bone, who gives us the scoop. I mean, th- listen, we tell it like it is, and this guy has information, bottom line. I, I think when we bring him on, a lot, of, a lot of our listeners tell me, Gabe, that's the best segment we have. Well, yeah, no, he's uh, Jim. Jim educates me on on the whole ticket thing. I, I you know, uh, my depth of knowledge is is increased because of him being on the show. How about uh, Teofimo Lopez on that that March seventeenth card? That's a card that I makes like me him. wish I was living in New York. That's a really good card. If someone's asked me who's your prospect of the year, Steve, you know, again, I don't know if I'd really count him yet because he has less than ten fights. And I know a lot of people like Ryan Garcia, there's Virgil Ortiz, and obviously there's other guys throughout the world. But out of the top-ranked young guys, I like Tiafimo, and he's going to be fighting February 3rd uh, on that one show with Herwin Ancajas and Zerto Ramirez that's on ESPN. I believe that's in El Paso maybe or Texas, I forgot. And then he'll also be March 17th. So he will be very, very active in the first quarter of 2000. 18. Gabe, let's go back to the phone lines. Knock these oh, that's, out. Uh, Corpus, Corpus Christi is what Corpus Christi, yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Edgar Valerio is another guy. Uh, 319, you're live on the next round. 319. 319? 319 has dropped. 347. Hey, guys, what's going on? You're live on the next round. Hey, guys, what's going on? Good, what's, what's up? up? Nothing much. Um, kind of a late caller in today. Um, usually catch the whole show, didn't get a chance to today. Um, no worries. Just kind of wanted <laughs> – sorry about that. <laughs> but um, just wanted to um, kind of get both your both your thoughts on um, – damn, I forgot the kid's name. But, um, you know, the guy he was on – he was on the, the undercard this weekend. Um, kind of a young kid. Um, damn, I really he forgot his name. Middleweight. No. Oh, middle you mean Spike O'Sullivan? No, no, no. He was no the guy that the guy Michael Sullivan beat up. <laughs> oh, Antoine Douglas. It, it, he never had a prime. I think that his corner people, going back two two and a half years, when he fought Avantel Kurtzaize, I think they ruined a career. I, I still remember when that fight was made, and I sent over the press release to Greg Cohen, who's the co-promoter, who was left out of the loop at that point. And he flat out said, he goes, Steve, I just want you to know one thing. I am against that fight, and I told him it's too soon. And, and again, I thought that was very reckless of, A, taking that fight at that stage and then letting him out the last two, three rounds. It's a shame what happened to him. But, but, but kind, of, kind of explain to me, like, like, what exactly happened? Like, you know, people lose, and, like, there, there's a ton of people that, you know, get beat up really bad, and, you know, they come back really strong. Pacquiao, um, Cotto, but it's like some guys like like Antoine Douglas and um and I forgot the other guy's name, but his nickname is Jersey Boy. He's horrible. Glenn Tapio, <laughs> sometimes beatings are so bad, Gabe, that they do irreparable damage. It happens. Yeah, I mean you can, you can literally see the moment when Kirkland hits him late, or you know not late, but um, as the ref is coming in, and and he his stiffens up. I think that's the moment where something kind of went wrong with Glenn Tapia. He hasn't been quite the same. Or maybe 
his punch resistance was never that great. I, you know, it's hard to say, but yeah, some guys handle it. I think a lot of things factor in. How did you make weight? Are you fighting at your natural weight? You know, how much are you dropping? That's a big. Are thing. you how built you for this? Are you yeah. built for yeah. this? Another uh, certain yeah. guys, their warranty isn't that long. I mean, listen, to be a really, really good to great boxer that has a real career, you got to have some physical durability. Some guys are not um, built to last. Um, another question I have for you guys: Where the middleweight division is really looking good right now. Um, I think Golovkin would have a ton of trouble with with, with Billy Joe. Might even lose to him because he's so elusive. Um, but as far as like the top five goes, like what exactly would be both of your top fives in the middleweight division? Uh, let me see. I go. I guess Golovkin, Canelo are kind of at the top, and probably Jacobs. Jacobs could probably make an argument for two. Um, and then maybe Saunders, and then I don't know who's the fifth guy. Gabe, would you say Andre? Or are we just being American centric here? Let me let me check here who who yeah, would actually Andre, be in I mean, the mix. He hasn't quite. Yeah, he looks Andre, yeah. Andre and Charlo. Charlo, you got to throw Charlo. Charlo. In I like Charlo. Yeah. I think he's he's arguably the most dangerous guy there. Oh, uh, and then we can't forget Sergey Derevchenko. I think he's a solid contender. That guy is a problem for anybody on any night. I've been watching but him you train see, like, and just watching him fight. He, he's he's technically very skilled. But you see, that was my issue. Like those were some of the names that I came up with as well. But it's it's really hard to just come up with a legit top five without being like, oh, okay, you can't forget this guy, you can't forget that guy. So it's really really hard to come up with a legit top five with middleweight division. Yeah, well that that's the fun of it. Let's see them sort themselves out. You know. Yeah. Let's see them go into conference play, as they say in college football. Is there anything else we could do for you? Um, yeah, just um, just my last question would be, um, you know, for all the slack that um, that Billy Joe used to get and things like that, like he has a hell of a resume. And um, if you kind of look at it, like a lot of people put um, Triple G pound for pound number one at a time where um. David Lemieux was his best win. <laughs> and you've seen what, you know, Billy Joe just did to him. So it, it doesn't it make it seem like, you know, we were all maybe a little bit premature on how good Golovkin really is? No, because, no, because Billy Joe also I mean, struggled against journeyman. <laughs> how you win yeah, is also true. important. Let, let's go down Billy Joe's roster here. He Last December he fought this nondescript guy, and he may have not even won that fight. I, the name escapes me. Hold on. I'm going to look for it right now. It's about um, Archer uh, Akabov? Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Um, you know, literally, he did absolutely nothing with this belt. His name was Arthur Akabov. You're absolutely right. Then he beat Andy Lee, where both guys, uh, the old-timers would say, one guy was afraid and the other guy was happy for it. <laughs> and his other victory, solid victory, Chris Eubank, um, that wasn't exactly a great fight at that point. And, you know, but again. It's gaining, though. You know, that, it is that, gaining. That win, it gains in reflection. And the William Monroe Jr. fight was not fun to watch at all, but it's a solid, you're beating a technical guy. But you, he's definitely got a great presence and, and understands his skill and how to win uh, his way. It would, all his wins show that. Uh, but it's also timing. You can't go, uh, well, see, he beat this guy that Golovkin beat a few fights ago and stopped, and, but he outboxed him and really outclassed him. He must be better, or, or Golovkin must not be that good. Uh, yeah, and by I, the I'm way, not sure why you'd want to knock Golovkin, Golovkin didn't lose one second to Lemieux and actually stopped him. <laughs> right. 
Good point. So, thanks for um, thanks for answering my questions, guys. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, you very much. Uh, we still have fight review, fight preview, news and notes uh, heading into bonus championship rounds here on the next round with Steve Kim and Gabriel Montoya. Yeah, timing is everything. Three one three. You're live on the next round. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, um, yeah. To, to piggyback off of that, um, I'm not saying that Saunders is better than Golovkin or anything, but if you look at, yes, Lee, Lemieux, and Eubank. Uh, what was that? Eubank, yeah. Eubank. If you look at it, that's a better resume than what Charlo has by a lot. Yeah, you know the. No, you know I don't yes. disagree. Well, but with Charlo's one fight in, I, you know I don't disagree. And Charlo fought a guy with one leg in his middleweight debut, in, in Sebastian Ooh. Highland. Right, so, but and again, also he barely he barely beat Trout too. Let's be honest. So, so yeah, listen, uh, I like the Charlos, and I think a lot of us are going by the eyeball test and the recent momentum that they have caused. But again, you're right. So let's let the guys figure this out. Yeah. Well, and do the guys do the guys really have a say in this at this point? Because as we know, uh, some person is not at, he's involved and in, he is the linchpin for a good amount of these matches we want to see not happen. Oh, you mean Charlo's advisor? Uh, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> How funny you'd bring that up. Okay. Yeah, you look at it. If you look down the line, Kovalev Stevenson, Wilder Joshua, uh, Charlo against. Possibly, how, uh, how dare you say that? How dare you even cast aspersions? Come on! Okay. The guy gave us boxing, you know. Anyway. Yeah, and I have a question. Is Heyman versus Aram fighters more of a possibility these days, or Heyman versus La Jolla fighters? I don't know. I, I mean, listen, there, there was a stretch when certain Heyman guys were getting career-high paydays we're not fighting other colleagues at the PBC, but looking at the schedule right now, the first quarter fights, I don't see any intersectional matchups. Do you, Gabe? Nope. Yeah, everybody's kind of Bob's like, I'm on ESPN. I don't really need to deal with y'all unless you like, you know, uh, right. load up some guy that I can need to deal with. And you know what? The one fight that I kind of like that does involve Golden Boy and Al Heyman, it's only being made because of a sanctioning body, is Gary Russell, the WBC featherweight titleist, taking on his mandatory, hopefully, in Joseph Jojo Diaz. Oh, okay. Is that planned, or is that just something we're waiting on? Well, (laughs) that's planned. (laughs) If it was up to Joseph Diaz, it would be planned. I know he wants that fight. And if... Gary Russell wants to keep the BC belt and that the BC follows its rules, which they're a little bit sporadic in that. Let's hope we see that fight. I think that's a pretty good fight. I'd like to see how Joseph Diaz deals with that speed and quickness of Mr. Gary Russell. Fundamentals beat speed normally. Yeah, but I just wonder, though, Gabe, do you think Joseph Diaz is hard enough to dissuade Gary Russell? It's a tough fight. That's a, yeah, that's a tough fight. I don't, I don't think he does. Uh, but he, he's got great fundamentals. Um, Good timing. You know, but yeah, and so does Gary, though. You know, Gary's not no slouch in the technical department. He just, you know, yeah. wasn't able to beat Lomachenko. I think the difference there, in, in some sense, you know, we talk about he was a great amateur, 
but not in the way that Lomachenko was and that he was facing yeah. all this international competition. And that's how you get to that many wins. You know, the American fighters, we don't, we don't have that same you know, USA boxing is a dysfunctional organization uh, and the fighters are suffering for it. So, uh, you know, I, I think, I don't know. I kind of like Gary in that fight, but I, I like me some Joseph Diaz. That's a, that's a yeah, really good I, let's just see the fight and let's see what happens. I got a question for our yeah. caller. What fight that is currently on the schedule for the first part of 2018, what tickles your fancy? What, what, what makes you say, okay, I like this? Spence Peterson, you know why? The reason why I was saying, the reason why is because it's a real good grading point for Crawford because they, Peterson and Crawford have two common opponents and Peterson struggled with both of them and Crawford blew both of them out. So, so in Diaz and uh, Diaz, Diaz and John, those are two guys that Peterson struggled with. So we got to look if Spence is really having issues with Peterson or even, you know, just a mundane 12 rounds that, yeah, he won every round, but he doesn't really do much. That shows me a little bit more that Crawford would beat him in the fight. Hmm. Interesting. You, you, you're willing to say that without seeing Crawford in an official welterweight fight, though? It's interesting. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the guy's okay. good. The guy's good to me. And spent. You look back at his amateur career and things of that nature, he, he showed more flaws than people are giving him credit for. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, listen, as always, thank you for the call. You have a great Christmas. You too, brother. 347-215-7598. Gabe, anyone else on the line? Yeah, we do. Uh, I'm curious. Does the fact that Jesse Vargas was unable to stop Aaron Herrera but Brandon Rios was able to stop him. Does that change your mind about the Garcia fight at all? No, not really. Take away the Saddam Ali fight, and Saddam, you know, he's been shinny in the past. Sometimes the actual result, like, listen, Pacquiao was knocking out a lot of people that Mayweather wasn't, and that really meant very little when they fought each other. So I, I, I wouldn't draw too much into that, not in this instance at least. Hmm. Uh, all right, five one zero. You're live on the next round. Hey, Gabe, Steve, Fernando, Richmond. How you guys doing? Fernando, what's, hey, what's going up, on? Man? Um, following our last caller, I'm curious. Do you, like you guys were uh, talking about earlier about you know the PBC with Showtime, Top Rank with ESPN, Golden Boy with HBO. Are the sanctioning bodies the key to kind of making these fights go forward? You know, like uh, mandating yes. fights. Is that is that the key? I think that's one of the few things that could actually force people to work together. Look, Gary Russell Lomachenko was made at the behest of a sanctioning body. We have to remember that scenario. Orlando Salido beats Lomachenko, but he came in overweight, so he loses his title on the scale. The BO title then became vacant. The two highest contenders were then Lomachenko and Gary Russell. And guess what? That fight ended up on Showtime, where both of them, I think, made a lot of money. I would like to see more of that. I would like to see more fights of this nature where a network says, okay, we want to outbid everyone for this fight, and let's, make, let's let fighters make the most money. That's one thing I'd like to see next year. Um, I thought it was going to mention something. Um, one last question. Like, also up on the, on the Jim Boone, I really appreciate all the information you give us. I live up here in the Bay Area, but I'm really interested in going to that uh, – 
the Superfly card in February, and I'm I'm wondering, uh, and I'm probably buying my tickets from Jim. Um, is a new is, are they holding back on a new being announced for that card because there's a fight coming up or? Yeah, there's that? still a chance that after his fight on December 30th that he will be added to the card. But, again, I, who knows? There's even talk of him moving up to 118. My understanding is on the undercard, which will not be televised by HBO, Brian Valorio will be fighting for a world title at flyweight. So that's one of the slots that's been uh, already filled in before HBO goes on live. And, you well, know, just to answer your the question. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, just so things I wanted to see next year. I, I don't know if it'll happen, but I'd like to see the WBA actually get that VADA program going, uh, get everybody registered, and then see the other two sanctioning bodies, uh, the IBF and the, the WBO, uh, sign up for it as well. And, and so that everybody's getting tested and that all four of those sanctioning bodies add in enough money so that being in the pool means you actually get tested more than like once a year. Uh, I think mm. that would be that needs to happen. And, you know, like the WBO has slowly become more legitimate as like, uh, it was like, you know, Vladimir Klitschko and, and Hamed were like among the first guys. And now they're, now we have four, but I think really the new legitimacy is, do you have an actual drug testing program? Or are you part of that clean boxing program? Like the WBC is. So that would be probably number one on my list. Fernando, what's up? Oh no, I agree with Gabe also. I think they're the key to, I know in the past they've always had a bad reputation on the sectioning bodies, but I think going forward it could be a positive agent for uh, for for boxing. You know, like bring some legitimacy to it. You know, um, no, that, that was it. That's my only question. Oh, one, one last thing. Uh, what what what's in the well? What is uh, Dan Jacobs looking for towards in the future? Like, what what fight is he actually potentially trying to make? I know the the Canelo and Triple G are out of kind of the loop for that, but what would be the fight he, he's looking forward to? I saw a boxing scene where he's officially called out Billy Joe Saunders. But again, I'm not so sure Billy Joe wants to take that much risk and jeopardize a crack at the winner of Canelo Golovkin. Understood, understood. Thank you guys for taking my phone call. Uh, happy holidays. Enjoy your break. And I always enjoy the show. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you very Thanks, much, man. Fernando, for uh, all the calls throughout the year. 347 215 Seven five nine eight. Before we go to fight review and fight preview, let's take one more call, Gabe. All right. Uh, and Danny's in an interesting position. So is Jamal Charlo because uh, Jamal Charlo is there at number one for the WBC. Uh, Jacobs is number two behind Saul Alvarez for that WBA middleweight oh. belt. Uh, you know, you got Dervinchenko uh, is the number one for the IBF. But then you know, it gets murky for the for the WBO. You've got well, Lemieux's been taken care of. You got Rob Brandt. Jamar Charlo, and then Danny Jacobs. So uh, some good fights. I think number two on my list is I want to see all this mix and matchups that can happen in the middleweight division. Uh, you know, somebody brought up uh, Spike O'Sullivan versus uh, uh, Ryota Murata as kind of a fun matchup. Love it. Uh, I love yeah, it. Absolutely. So it was Matthew Mojica on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, love that fight. Yeah, sign me up. So uh, back to the phone lines. 774, you're live on the next round. Good evening, gentlemen. This is George from Massachusetts. George, welcome aboard. Hey, thanks. Um, Judging from the fight on Saturday with Billy Joe Saunders, I think – I don't think Golden Boy was expecting Billy Joe to beat Lemieux the way he did, and I think it actually uh, ensured that Canelo will face Golovkin because now – 
I think it gives Tom Loeffler's team some leverage in the negotiations. I think um, I think it'll definitely be made now, Canelo Triple G2, as a result of Billy Joe winning against uh, Lemieux. What do you guys think? Huh, you know, I don't know. I mean, Gabe, I'll say one thing. I don't think it hurt the chances of the rematches happening, the result on Saturday night. Yeah, I can kind of picture all the heads, like, looking over at it and then looking back across at the end of the fight to each other across the table. Like, yeah, well, let's leave that guy uh, alone. It, it's kind well, of weird that that well, would yeah. be, the, you know, the cherry on top, you know. But uh, Well, yeah, because, but, I mean, Tom, Tom Loeffler, I mean, prior to making the first Canelo fight, they were very interested in making the fight with Billy Joe and had that date, I believe, in June in Kazakhstan. And uh, right. Golden Boy... They had to, you know, they kind of had to, um, you know, tell Tom Loeffler, hey, you know, we, you know, this is not a good matchup. This is going to hurt the promotion. So you could tell they were kind of almost sweating because they, you know, as long as Triple G has an option, like before their leverage was who does Triple G have to fight? Who is he going to fight? You know, we have, if Lemieux beats Saunders, then they have all the, all the cards and then, you know, they can make outrageous demands for, for the, for the second fight because Canelo would have the option of facing Lemieux, but now now they don't have that option. I don't think Billy I think Billy Joe it would be happy fighting either one of those guys. Uh, honestly, I think he would make he would make a lot of money fighting both of those guys regardless. Obviously, I think he'd make more money fighting Canelo, but I think I think he could make a they could make a big mega fight out in the UK uh between Triple G and and uh Saunders and it would be for the undisputed title which would give Golovkin additional leverage if Canelo decides he doesn't want to fight Golovkin, you know? Yeah, I, I'm going to be interested. I need to talk to Tom this week. I'm going to ask him. We are now coming up on the new year. Do we have a deal or not? And there's that old saying, are you going to shit or get off the pot? I'd, I'd kind of like to see what's going on here. Um, question for you. Out of the first quarter schedule that's already lined up and being announced, like Mikey Garcia, Sergey Lippin, yes, uh, some of the other stuff, March 3rd, the B-Ball, Sullivan, Barrera. Is there a particular fight that you're looking forward to the most? I think I think the fight that I'm interested in the most is Superfly 2. I think Sungworm Visai against Estrada is the oh, best, fighting the best. Good fight. And I think that's what we need. That's, you know, as a boxing fan, that's what you want to that's what you want to watch. You know, Mikey Garcia with all due respect, he's not fighting the best. I mean, who's he fighting? I mean, he's like you mentioned before, he's kind of in the same Adrian Broner, you know, territory of the weakest four division champions ever in history. So I mean, yeah, it doesn't mean anything. You know, I don't understand because he's he's with PBC, really. I mean, if you're gonna really, you know, he's PBC guy. He should. <laughs> Someone needs to tell him that because he keeps saying yeah. he's independent. <laughs> he, he's not. He's well, about as. I mean, he's really not. I mean, let's just. And you know what? And there's nothing wrong with that. But I. But and well, he's upset well, at me. He doesn't like me anymore because I pointed out like you're not really independent. You're not. Well, it's like it's like I tell my friends. I'm the boss in my house as long as my wife is not here. <laughs> 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 That's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I guarantee you, your wife's probably not at home while you're on the phone with us, right? I mean, you can admit it. It's okay. It's yes. fine. You know, we appreciate you sneaking away. Seriously. Yeah. So, I That's mean, great. So, I mean, but, but I, I would, you know, why is he not fighting Robert Easton? You know what I mean? Like, what's the reason? Thank you. There's, no, there's nothing holding that back. 
that's a much better matchup because you have two you know, you have two champions in that weight class. You know. Right. So And by the way, um and now Robert Easter's fighting Javier Fortuna. And I'm yeah, like, okay, again, it's not bad, but it's not all that good either. No, I mean, it's 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 just not it's not what the fans want. You know, Estrada, Sorung, Visay, that's a guaranteed, probably going to be a candidate for fight of the year, in my opinion. I think yeah. Sorung Visay, I think he is. That that guy's a beast, man. That guy's he's gonna he's gonna give Estrada a lot of problems. I think his physicality, I think, is really going to. Uh, you know, challenge Estrada in a way that nobody else has challenged him. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, but, agree. Yeah. All right. Well, so, listen. Before your wife gets back, we don't want to get you in trouble. We, we gotta let you go here. <laughs> hey, take out the damn trash while you're at it. <laughs> Merry Christmas. So anyway, thank you for the call. Join us again soon. Don't be a stranger. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, um, well, uh, cut him off. Uh, yeah, uh, going on to the fight review game. Carlos Morales, uh, technical decision in six on uh, Golden Boy on ESPN2 from Friday night uh, from Fantasy Springs Casino against Daydon Genoway. Gabe, I thought he got bailed out. I want to see round six and beyond. I think they need to do this again. Yeah, they need to do it again. It's, uh, you know, uh, yeah, there's no question. It, it just seemed... Like that ending, it was like no, yeah, this this is a bit of a, a bit of a wrong here. So let's do it again. Let's see it. Yeah, there are certain fights that have that Cotto Margarito one feel, where it's the <laughs> second half where the fight really starts. And yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm not saying Morales quit. There was a real cut, but at the same time, it just felt incomplete. What happened? I felt bad for Daydon, and of course, our guy, the best dressed corner man, always. The debonair Joe Goosen. Uh, Gabe, moving on to news <laughs> and notes. This is being reported and rumored. It's not a done deal, but I know it's being negotiated. Your thoughts? Carl Frampton, Nonito Donaire on April 7th. I think it's a really intriguing fight. You know, uh, Nonito, I think, has looked in a little bit better shape the, the last fight, uh, last couple fights. I think he's got a little momentum going. Um, and Frampton looks vulnerable to me. Uh, yeah, he does. So I, I think it's, you know, uh, stylistically, is it going to be great? I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it, does Nonito have that killer instinct? If he tastes power from Frampton, is he going to just kind of, you know, four-corner offense it? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I, I kind of like the fight. Yeah, so do I. And I got to tell you, Frampton, the last – couple fights or two you just wonder have we already seen the best of him has he reached his apex yeah. and is he now heading towards i don't know if a plateau or a descent but again even in that last fight uh on december 9th i said huh it didn't look all that dominant I, i'll be honest with you and gave orlando salito last week put out a, an announcement that hey you know what maybe i'm not gonna retire you know what orlando please do it's over my God, I don't think yeah. anything can, good can come out of him continuing his career, Gabe. I just don't. No. I mean, I think, I mean, did he watch the fight and go, oh, you know, <laughs> this is what I needed to do? You know, because, I mean, yeah. I watched the fight and I was like, geez, this is a little depressing. He looks pretty done. I mean, he's still fighting. 
and he's still going at it, and he's still kind of a dangerous guy in a sense. But you know, uh, take the cue from Bernard Hopkins. Like this, take the cue from the sport. Like you got stopped, dude. It's been a long career, a lot of miles on you. You have the hardest style to have longevity. Uh, just, just take the money and go, because uh, I, I don't want to see it again. To be honest, I yeah. don't want to see him get stopped another time. than no, I don't need to know. Trust your eyes. Yeah. Three four seven two one five seven five nine eight. Gabe, let, let's finish it off. We have got nine more minutes available to us. Yeah, and that's, this is really where the people around him. This is this is where they really earn their money. Uh, Absolutely, really protecting the guy. Nine five four. You're live on the next round. Nine five four. Yes, you are. What's up? <laughs> you know who this is, right? Uh, who is this? And sing. Oh my God! Now, where where have you been? Where have you <laughs> well, been? Well, I've been looking for a new uh, head coach, but uh, we're doing, we're gonna... <laughs> Rocky Top. <laughs> Bring back Lane Kiffin. <laughs> or you're not sure, yeah. Hey guys, hey guys, I fucking love you guys. You guys are the best. But uh, let me tell you something. Uh, rough '98 and leaving in the ring, he says. What's the difference? I I haven't heard the the podcast, but I had to call in because I said I was gonna come out of retirement today, and I'm coming out of retirement. You have. And all, all I'm you have. Is, all all I'm saying is this. All I'm saying is this. Let's go, champ. Let's go, champ. And uh, <laughs> and who okay, cares hold about on. Eduardo? Who cares about Rick? Who cares? B J Saunders. I don't like him but I'll support him just because he wants the best of the best finally, finally, finally. Okay, now, but with that said, Edward, I've been dying to hear this. Give me your thoughts on Miguel Cotto and his last fight and his career and his retirement. I, just go uh, ahead, the stage uh, is yours. I don't know. Uh, I don't know who, I don't know who is, who is she. I don't know who Miguel, uh, Miguelita Cotto. Oh, come I don't on. Know, I don't know who she is. <laughs> You don't have any no, no, good feelings no, no. at all no, now that his career's no, no. ended. No appreciation no. for what he's contributed I'll, to the sport. I'll, I'll be honest. He's the best. He finally eclipsed. He's Miguel Cotto has eclipsed uh, Macho Camacho for the best B-fighter of Puerto Rico of all time. <laughs> best B-fighter. Wow. What a, what a backhanded compliment. Jeez. No. B fighter? No. no. Really, Eduardo? Yes. That's not WEPA. Yes. That is and not WEPA. And, 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 yo, Morales got four uh, weight classes, but it didn't count, right? So it's the same thing as uh, Miguel Cotto. Uh, we're, talking, we're talking about the Parthenon of Puerto Rican boxing. It's Ortiz. Okay. We're talking about Benitez. Okay. Gomez. Macho okay. Camacho, Macho Camacho finally is is a one point two, like in the B class. All right, now what about Trinidad? Can't forget Tito. Tito, no, no, but 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 Tito is an A class. He's an elite. He's a man. Okay. He's he. You know, you know, you know who Tito is. Tito, Tito is fighting amongst uh, Bazooka Gomez for the. The Zeus of the Parthenon of Puerto Rican boxing. <laughs> it, it is what it is. 
Wow. No, no, All right, well, Eduardo, no, no, listen, no. we – Eduardo, anything else? Well, by the way, don't be a stranger next year. Come back and join us. Come no, back no, to us. No, no, but, 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 no, no. I'm, I'm going to say this. B.J. Saunders, not for nothing, B.J. Saunders has been more entertaining than uh, Laura, than Rigondeaux, and all these Cuban pieces of mm. malarkey. Hey, and, hey, come on, come on. And Juan <laughs> Lopez, Juan Lopez, and Miguel, and the Vasquez, and all these fake-ass people. All I'm saying is, Viva Puerto Rico! <laughs> And with that, Eduardo, thank you for joining us. You know, I've never seen a Puerto Rican have so much enmity towards Puerto Rican fighters, quite like Eduardo Tehran. And it's nice of him to join us again. Gabe, who's yeah. next? <laughs> He's, you know, the voice of the people. Uh, <laughs> You're live on the next round. Uh, <laughs> Hello? Oh, hey, guys. Sorry. Uh, oh, no there. worries. Um, yes, go ahead. Uh, for a first-time caller, I've been listening to you guys for, for about a year now. I, I love the show. Um, Thank you. It's left, but I just wanted to find out, how did you guys uh, kind of get together and put this put this podcast together? Uh, well, uh, this was an offshoot of a show that I did at Max Boxing with Doug Fisher. And then when Doug moved on, um, Gabe Montoya came in out of the bullpen, and it's kind of – that's been – we that's how it kind of was created. How many shows have we done, Gabe, about what? Four or five hundred of these now? We've done a lot of these. episode 657 is this episode. Yeah. Uh, but you and I have done, I came on in episode 240, and we were just a webcast, well, not just, but we were like the first like weekly boxing news show, this show, I believe, uh, on the web. And it was we shot it at Brian Hardy's house in Hollywood, uh, or his, his apartment, uh, every Monday. And we would just do one take, 30 minutes. That's what Doug and Steve did for 240 episodes, I came in on that, uh, I think 241 or 240, and we've been doing it ever since. And then I moved from Los Angeles four years ago to San Francisco, um, and I think within there we had we had already started doing the radio. Uh, we had lost Brian Hardy. We weren't shooting it anymore, and I'd been doing Leave It in the Ring with Dave Duenas all during the time I was in Los – or about two years in while I was in – uh, with Max Boxing, I started doing a, a blog talk radio show on Thursdays with Dave. And so when we stopped filming the next round, I went to Dave and said, we should, we should just bring it in as a radio show uh, and, and kind of combine our forces. And that's what we've been doing. So th- that's kind of the birth of the show. Yeah, no, that, anything else we could do for you? No, I'm, just, uh, I'm from New Jersey, so I'm excited. Hopefully, uh, you know, Lomachenko comes back to, to New York in, in 2018. Um, I saw his fight against Sosa at the MGM National Harbor, and uh, it was quite a sight to see him live in person. So I hope they bring him back uh, to the uh, to the big arena in 2018. Yeah, well, according to Aram, uh, MSG wants to make him a priority. I believe at some point next year he will be in the big room. Okay, let's take one more call before we call it a year. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, 8.05. I believe that's Nacho. Get one last one in before the end of the year. Hey guys, You're what's up? It's me, Nacho. Nacho, Nacho, make it quick. We don't have a lot of time uh, here. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the fights this weekend. Uh, I can't believe how easily Lemieux was embarrassed, but he has nobody to blame but himself. Uh, Mark Ramsey kept telling them what to do, and it was like he just never bothered to pay attention to what he was telling them to do. And there's really nobody to put it on except for him. Uh, 
As far as Billy Joe Saunders, um, yeah, he looked good, but at this point, like, I'd like to see him fight, you know, uh, Danny Jacobs, to be honest. I think they should put that on the undercard of the Canelo Golovkin fight, if it's possible, just to showcase him to uh, the casual fans. Uh, and then uh, with uh, the other two fights, uh, I never understood why Antoine Douglas was put in this fight against uh, O'Sullivan. Uh, I've seen O'Sullivan fight before, and I just thought this was a bad style matchup. And sure enough, it, uh, you could see it right away. Like, he had no head movement. He looked lethargic in the ring. And he really didn't have any semblance of defense. He just stood there and let the guy tee off on him uh, practically all night. So it's pretty sad to see him go out like this. Uh, I hope they legitimately convince him not to get back in the ring because I think he's really going to get hurt. I didn't like the way he he got knocked out because he, like, fell face first and he looked like a dead body. And, yeah. uh, with, the last, and with the last fight, um, uh, Ulisse looked good, but uh, Selden is just, I don't know. I think he's a lot like Arturo Gatti. Like, unless you match him up with guys that are going to stand there and trade with him, matching him up with slick fighters is never going to be some, his strong suit. And uh, that's it. Um, I guess I'll tell right, you guys back Thank you very much. We got to get going. Right, Gabe, thanks. it was a fun year. Uh, another year in the books. We look forward to a very fun 2018. Gabe, I'll yep. talk to you in a couple weeks. Sounds good. I'm going to hit L.A. actually, so maybe I'll, I'll see you down there. Absolutely. Uh, keep in touch. All right, well, that's it for this edition of the next round on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. On behalf of David Duenas and Gabe Montoya, till the next round and next year, goodbye, everybody. <laughs>